Good afternoon, and thank you so very much for joining us on today's broadcast of Overcoming Negative Thoughts, Learning to Think Like God Thinks. Today's session, we want to focus on answering the question, what makes a dream? And the main point of principle we want to discuss today is the fact that God is the dream maker of any dream, and he is the dream giver. The examples of those that dare to dream that we will talk about today, they had to overcome negative experiences and negative thoughts to fulfill the dreams that God had given to them. Science validates the fact that we have anywhere between 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day and half of them are negative. Negative thoughts are unhelpful thoughts that only come to hinder, harm, harass, and distract us from our purpose. And it's important to note that you don't have to be a negative person to have negative thoughts. And yet in order to dream a God-given dream, it is inevitable that there will be some negative thoughts that come to distract us that we must overcome. Negative thoughts about family members, negative thoughts about co-workers, negative thoughts about our current circumstances and situations in our nation, negative circumstances about the future. We all have them and we cannot stop negative thoughts from coming, but we can overcome them and prevail them on the battlefield of our minds. To overcome negative thoughts, we must first acknowledge that I have them. Once I acknowledge that I have some negative thoughts occasionally, now I'm aware of these negative thoughts and I can take action to overcome and prevail against these thoughts by God's word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. God shows us the way to think well in order for us to live well. So our primary passage for today's uh, session uh, what is a dream or what makes a dream is Joel's prophecy in the second chapter of his book, verses 28 through 29, where Joel says, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The word prophesy means to be inspired. Their speech, their voice will be inspired. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. In the original Hebrew, the word dream, it simply means mental images. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. The word visions, when translated in the Hebrew, it means an impartation of revelation from God himself. So in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants, upon the handmaids, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. In other words, God was saying, I'm pouring out my spirit upon all of humanity. So in 1776, 56 men stood up for Americans everywhere and signed their names to the Declaration of Independence. It was adopted, as you know, on July 4th, 1776, and a new nation, the United States of America, was born because there was a dream that had been released in the earth because God has poured out his spirit upon all flesh. History records that it was American writer and historian James Translow Adams that popularized the phrase, the American dream, in his 1931 book, Epic of America, 
and defining the uh, American dream as follows. This is what Adam says about the American dream as he defines it. Life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement with neither social class nor the circumstances surrounding their birth being a barrier to success. Adams goes on to further say the American dream is further thought of as a set of beliefs and ideals towards creating a better life for oneself and their families. This set of ideals, which includes notions of individual rights, freedom, democracy, and equality, is centered around the belief that each individual has the right and freedom to seek prosperity and happiness regardless of where or into what circumstances they were born. The American dream that James Truslow Adams wrote about in 1931 is rooted in the United States Declaration of Independence. And the question for many may be if the ideal is that, or if the ideal has been the American dream, why are so many living what seems to be the American nightmare? The background of Joel's prophecy was a call to repentance, looking to the future of human history. The world was in bad shape then, and the world is certainly in bad shape now. So Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulations, that, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. The word tribulation carries the meaning of affliction, distress, suffering, and trouble. And yet in the face of pandemics, injustice, chaos, and confusion, distress, suffering, and trouble, I'm certain of one thing, and that is the sovereignty of God, and he is still the dream maker and the dream giver. When Joel declared the word of the Lord in the 8th century during the reign of King Uzziah almost 3,000 years ago, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, on everybody, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I will inspire the voice of many. Your old men shall dream dreams. I'm going to give the, uh, the ability of imagination to dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I'm going to give revelation. I'm going to impart insight for oversight, revelation into visions that men and women will see. And upon everybody, I'm pouring out my spirit. When Joel prophesied, there was no United States there was no constitution. There was no preamble. But what we do have is the promise of dreams concerning the future of God's people. God is the dream maker and the dream giver. God is also the creator, but the devil is an imitator. Where God creates dreams, the devil creates nightmares, terrorist assaults in the way that a man or a woman thinks. The devil's plots ploys and plans to make the American dream into the American nightmare. Terrorist assaults on the minds of men, raising up hatred, racism, separatism, classism, sexism, or any other form of schism are all terrorist assaults on the minds of men and women. So Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as a man or woman thinks, as a man thinks, that's who they really are. So the devil has assaulted the minds of men. The strategy is to divide and conquer. The devil cannot defeat or conquer God, so he turns his efforts and strategies on that which God loves, and that's you and me, 
or simply all of humanity. And then on the day of Pentecost, 900 years after Joel's prophecy, in Acts chapter 2, where they were all assembled in one place, a sign and symbol of unity, you know the story, there came a sound from heaven as as a rushing mighty wind. God was pouring out his spirit and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and tongues of fire appeared and rested on everybody that was in that place of unity. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Their voices were inspired. Their voices, they prophesied. They spoke in the language, verse 9, of Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Verse 10, Phyrogyra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and people from Rome, Italians, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, a diversity of nations and people proclaim, the scripture says, they proclaim that we hear them telling us in our own language, the tongues, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And in verse 12, these people of diverse nations and nationalities, they're asking one another, what does this mean? Peter stands up in the midst of these people and says, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Their voices shall be inspired by me. Your old men shall dream dreams. They shall imagine things that were not. That, that, that shall be. They will dream dreams, mental pictures of things that were not, but things that shall be. Your young men shall see visions. I'm going to impart. It's an impartation of revelation into the minds of young men and young women and also upon the servants and handmaids. On everybody, I'm pouring out my spirit. So God pouring out his spirit on the day of Pentecost without regard of age, gender, or nationality. In 1776, 56 men, after years of dreaming, imagining, thinking, 56 men that we call the founding fathers, representing 13 colonies with a dream of unity, a dream from the dream maker, signed their names to a declaration of independence on July 4th, 1776. They had no idea what America could become or would become, but God did. Influenced by the Spirit of God that had been poured out on all flesh, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, a portion of the dream, declares, we hold these truths to be self-evident. There's no need for proof. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. These rights cannot be denied. These rights cannot be taken away. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And as such, and amongst them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all because God had poured out his spirit on all flesh. And on the day of Pentecost, 120, in the upper room, a sign of unity, a sign and symbol of unity and harmony. Acts chapter 2 also records for us at least 15 different nations were present. 
asking what does all of this mean? What it meant on that day is what it means for us today. And that is the fact that the dream by the God, by the God maker, God, our God maker and dream giver, the dream is still alive. As a dream maker and dream giver, God's dream is that all men would be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and 4 tells us God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We understand the term saved to mean to be born again, to be restored to a right relationship with God. But the term saved also means to be rescued. The day that you and I got saved is a part of the fulfillment of God's dream that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He rescued us from our sins. He saved us from our sinful ways. The Lord saved us and rescued us from sin, transgression, and iniquities. There's three levels of sin. Sin is always upwards towards God. Transgression means trespass or that which we do or what we do to one another. And iniquities is that which is bent and twisted on the inside of a man or woman. It was David that said in Psalm 51 verses 3 and 4, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me, and against thee and thee only have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. And then in verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Yes, we know we are experiencing hardship and tragedy, at the hand and influence of COVID-19. But sin, transgression, and iniquity has always been the devil's preferred method of assault and attack against mankind. It has never been skin, it has always been sin. But God had a dream one day in eternity. And a part of God's dream is that all men would be saved and rescued, and God desires to use us, you and I, as lifeguards in a world that is drowning in sin, transgression, and iniquities. Representing God in the earth as his ambassadors, we are part of God's dream, but we also have been given a dream created in his image and likeness. Therefore, the question becomes, for you and I, the question becomes today that I want to put on the table is, what is your dream? And because God is the dream maker, and the dream giver, the power of our dreams can lead us to accomplish great things in the earth. Mahatma Gandhi, born on October the 2nd, 1869, became one of the most respected spiritual and political leaders of human history. For 200 years, Indians were considered to be culturally and racially inferior to the British Empire, and yet, because God had poured out his spirit, hang on, and yet because God had poured out his spirit on all flesh, Gandhi had a dream. And his dream was to free the Indian people from oppression and tyranny from the British rule through nonviolent resistance and is honored today by Indians as the father of the Indian nation. In 1959, Martin Luther King visited India and met with some of Gandhi's followers and learned some of Gandhi's methods, as you know, of nonviolent protests, which he himself adopted and used in the civil rights movement of the 1960s as a portion 
of his dream that was rooted in the American dream. 1959 was the same year that Dr. King preached a series of messages entitled Shattered Dreams. Four years prior to his preaching his historic I Have a Dream speech. This series of shattered dreams messages was rooted in, as Dr. King stated, there are times in this life that we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. Hope, help over problems expectedly. I say again, hope is help over problems expectedly. I will look unto the hills which cometh my help, all my help, all of our help, comes from the Lord. The problems of humanity have always been the same and it appears it will never change when we disobey and disregard God. The problems had only just begun for Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God and were removed from the garden, removed from paradise because of their sin against God, which they tried to cover up with figs, with figs and aprons, fig leaves and aprons. And the nature of sin was then tragically transferred into the DNA of their sons, Cain and Abel, where we become witness to the world's, to mankind's first homicide. Is it any wonder that we have experienced the violence lately that we have? Because from the very beginning, sin, transgression, and iniquity entered humanity's bloodstream. And yet God's dream for us is still alive in the earth. God, the dream maker and the dream giver's dream is that all men are saved and rescued from sin, which is upward towards God, transgression, which is trespass, which we do to one another, and our iniquities, that which is bent and twisted on the inside of us. And to dream a dream, we must think the dream as a portion of the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the 8th century and 80 to 90 years after Jesus has ascended to heaven, Peter stands up amongst approximately 15 diverse ethnicities and nations, a sign and symbol of unity in response to their question, what does this mean? And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what it meant was that God's dream was still active and alive almost 900 years after Joel's prophecy and the dream lived on. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, also had a dream. During the Civil War, the bloodiest war fought on American soil a month prior to signing the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, Lincoln wrote a letter to Congress stating, my dream. He starts, there's a paragraph that starts with, my dream is of a place and a time where America will once again be seen as the last best hope of the earth. Not just the United States, but Lincoln's dream was that America would return to a place and a time where America would be seen around the world as the last best hope for the entire planet, a sign that God's dream of unity was still active and alive because the spirit of God had been poured out upon all flesh. And because Lincoln was a dreamer, he was killed by an assassin's bullet on April 15th, 1865. And yet 
the dream lived on. Gandhi was born four years after Lincoln's assassination, and although he lived approximately 8,500 miles away from the dream that Lincoln had for America, Gandhi had a dream. And because Gandhi dreamed of liberty and freedom for his people, he was killed by an assassin's bullet on January 30th, 1948. Because the Spirit of God had been poured out upon all flesh, all flesh, all nationalities, all race, creeds, colors, and religions, and yet the dream lived on. And through the providence and sovereignty of God, God uses an Indian man of another faith tradition to influence a then 26 or 27-year-old young preacher by the name of Martin Luther King in the ways of nonviolent protest in 1959 with truth that transformed King's thinking as a means to overcome the negative experiences and negative thoughts of his day. And on August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King stands up and proclaims, I have a dream to 200,000 people on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, a sign that God's dream still lived on. And because Dr. King was a dreamer, he too was killed by an assassin's bullet on April 4, 1968. And yet prior to his death, King prophesied. Dr. King, Dr. King declared, you may kill the dreamer, but you cannot kill the dream because the spirit of God had been poured out on all flesh. Jesus himself had a dream rooted in his father's dream. And because Jesus dared to dream, he knew that he had to die because of his father's dream. Jesus came to reconcile, to rescue, to restore humanity back to a right relationship with God. In John chapter 6 verse 38, Jesus says, For I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but I've come down to do the will of him who sent me. To fulfill God's dream, his father's dream, Jesus had to die. You may kill the dreamer, but you cannot kill the dream. It has been said that 29% of the world's population or 2.3 billion people around the world are Christians and the dream lives on. It has been said that there are approximately 7.5 billion people around the globe and the dream, God's dream is still alive. As God the dream maker dreamed his dream in eternity, he dreamed of a family that he called, that we call humanity. God dreamed of making man in his own image and in his likeness, and one day in eternity, it came to pass. And because of sin entering in into mankind's bloodstream, God sent Jesus to bring God's family back to him, knowing that in just a few short hours, he would be crucified, that he would die. In John chapter 13, at the Last Supper, Jesus gets up from the table, washes his disciples' feet, and then he tells them to go and do what I've done unto you. And here's a very important note about that situation and circumstance. Judas was at the same table, and Judas knew that, uh, and God, and Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. 
but Jesus washed Judas' feet anyway. When you can wash your Judas' feet, somebody that you know is going to or has betrayed you, somebody that you know has dis has the potential to disrespect you, to take, oh my God, when you can wash your Judas' feet, you have arrived at a level of maturity in God that few people will ever be able to understand. So Jesus gets up from the table, washes all of his disciples' feet, and tells them to go and do as I've done unto you. And then in John chapter 14, at the Last Supper, just a few hours prior to his death, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there were many mansions there. If it were not so, I would have told you so. Jesus was telling his disciples, don't be troubled about the events that are about to transpire. Then in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the father but by me. And then in John chapter 15, he tells his disciples just a few hours prior to his death, in the 13th verse, Jesus says, greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. The word love in this passage is agape. It is unconditional, just as a man or a woman is. He's telling the disciples to love one another unconditionally, to love humanity unconditionally. And then he tells his disciples, the one that he's turning the mantle of leadership over to, the ones that he has been mentoring for three years, he's telling them to treat one another, the word, as a friend. Friend means it is, is a derivative of Philadelphia or phileo, but it has a slightly different meaning as it is translated as philos. Philos, as a friend, Jesus was saying, be affectionate to one another, be loyal to one another. So Jesus was telling his disciples, the one that he was mentoring, the one that he was turning the mantle of leadership over to, be affectionate and loyal to one another. And then in John chapter 16, he reminds them, you go have some trouble in this world, but fear not because I've overcome this world by the mantle, by the power, by the power of God's spirit that has been poured out and will be poured out on you on the day of Pentecost, you're going to be able to overcome it all. And then just in just a few short hours prior to his death, in John chapter 17, verses 11 and 21, Jesus prays to his father, Father, make them one as you and I are one because God had poured out his spirit on all flesh and God's dream of unity was fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. God as the dream maker and dream giver dreamed of unity for all humanity rooted in unconditional love that includes loving even our enemies, those that treat us badly, those that disrespect us, those that don't treat us right. God expects you and I, because of his spirit that's upon our lives, to love people unconditionally, to love even our enemies. Why? Because the dream, God's dream is still alive in the earth and our purpose is connected for being in the earth is to dream God's dream. 
and to dream the dream of unity for all humanity in the family of God because God's dream, God says, if you delight yourself in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. Sounds like a dream to me. And it's never too late to dream. We're never too young and we are never too old. God's dream has existed from the beginning of time into eternity. Your dream and my dream, the desire of our hearts, connected to his purpose and will for our lives is alive. But you've got to dare to dream. To dream a dream, you've got to think a dream. And what keeps the dream alive for you and me is hope. Help over problems expectedly. Help expectedly is an excited feeling that something is about to happen. Something good happens expectedly when we dare to dream, when we dare to maintain our hope. Help over problems expectedly. Last week, we talked about Joseph's dream that took him from the pit to prison and ultimately to the fulfillment of his dream in the palace. I submit to you that Joseph's dream was saturated in hope, help over problems expectantly. But the fulfillment of Joseph's dream was painful and not easy. The founding fathers had a dream and the fulfillment of the dream was painful and not easy. Abraham Lincoln had a dream and the fulfillment of the dream was painful and not easy. Gandhi had a dream and the fulfillment of that dream was painful and not easy. Martin Luther King had a dream and a fulfillment of the dream was painful and not easy, but they all dreamed anyhow and any way by any means necessary. They held fast to their dream that was situated, that was saturated in hope. Help over problems expectedly. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For Lincoln, for Gandhi, for Martin Luther King and Jesus himself, he took on the form of man. He felt the betrayal. He felt the feelings, the emotions. He says in the garden as he prayed great drops of blood, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus felt it all. And so even as he held on to the dream of his father, it was more than a shadow of death for Lincoln, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Jesus himself because they not they walk. It wasn't a shadow. They walked through death. They died. They, their dreams cost them their lives. You may kill the dreamer, but you cannot kill the dream, and the dream lives on. And I posed at the very beginning of this session a question. What makes a dream? I submit to you this afternoon that what makes a dream is your passion, your voice, and the Spirit of God that has been poured out on everybody. It's been poured out on all flesh. That is what makes a dream. Your passion is the fuel that gives life to your dream, given to you by the dream maker and the dream giver by the outpouring of his spirit on the day of Pentecost. Every person that has been mentioned in this session today, Joseph, our Founding fathers, Lincoln, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Jesus himself, 
Their dreams were fueled by their voice, by the passion, the emotional fortitude and strength and the spirit of God that has been poured out on everybody, on all flesh. Poured out is the language of abundance. There is an abundance of power and support for our dreams by the Spirit of God. But the second question that I must put on the table is where are the dreamers of today? Where are the dreamers of today? God said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Their voices shall be inspired. They shall utter prophetic utterances. Your old men shall dream dreams. They shall imagine things that were not as though they were. There will be mental pictures and images in their minds, in their thinkings. Your young men shall see visions, visions, an impartation of revelation from God himself. So the question remains, what is your dream? When you wake up in the morning and go to bed at night, you've got to dream, my brother, my sister, of things, of what things could be as opposed to what they are now. Life circumstances, personally, and I would dare say nationally, what we are experiencing right now, life circumstances, personally and nationally, may not look so good right now, but dream of the way things that could be. Speak those things that are not as though they were. Let your dream be infused by the power of God's spirit that he has poured out on all of us. What is your dream? You know that you have a dream given by the dream maker that ignites your passion when you think about the possibilities of your dream. But thinking passionately about your dream is not enough because your voice, your voice must never be silenced. Your voice and your passion is not enough. That creates a platform, but we must depend upon the spirit of God because our voice and our passion, supported by the power and spirit of God that's been poured out upon all of us, is what will bring the dream to pass. Why do I say so? Why do I believe this? Because I believe that God gave man his mind, his intelligence, when he breathed into Adam the breath of life and man became a living soul. I believe that God gave man the mind of God. But when sin entered in, sin, transgressions, and iniquities, the mind of God was gone. It was removed because sin, transgression, and iniquity dismissed the mind of God, overruled the mind of God. So God sends Jesus to reconcile man back to God. So Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. So I believe that Jesus, even by the power of the Holy Spirit, he came to restore the mind of God to the mind of men. So how is it that the Wright brothers Oh my God, they were passionate and they gave voice to the dream of men flying. And yet I submit to you, it was the intelligence of God, the mind of man, the mind of God that gave them the idea. Alexander Graham Bell was passionate 
and gave his voice in pursuit of a means of communication of which our cell phones today are a result of his passion and the voice that he gave to his dream. And yet I'm convinced it was the intelligence of God, the mind of God that gave him the idea. Thomas Edison and his passionate pursuit and the voice that he gave to the pursuit of his dream has produced for us electric lights of which we are glad. And yet I'm convinced it was the intelligence, the mind of God that he gave to the mind of men that gave Edison the idea. And there's one more dream I want to bring to your attention that you may not be so familiar with as we move closer to our close for today's session. Nikola Tesla. Some of you may be driving a Tesla automobile that was named for this dreamer. Tesla developed, demonstrated, and marketed the first successful long-distance wireless telegraph and in 1901 sent a message across the Atlantic Ocean that changed communication forever. For the first time in man's history, people were able to communicate through radio waves. And what I understand about radio waves is that they are electrical currents or charges flowing back and forth throughout the Earth's atmosphere. And the point that I want to make with Tesla that was passionate and gave voice to his dream concerning radio communications is that he did not invent radio waves. Tesla simply tapped into what was already there. Child of God, your dream is already on the inside of you. What you have to do is tap into what's already on the inside of you. Tap into it by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Joseph, Lincoln, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, the Wright brothers, Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Tesla, they all had a dream given to them by God, the dream maker and the dream giver. They all overcame the negative thoughts and negative attitudes of their day by their passion, their voice, and the spirit of God that had been poured out on everybody. And it's important to know that a dream without a voice is simply a vapor or mist that will evaporate on the winds of time and life and it will never be experienced because it has never been heard. It's not that God didn't give the dream to somebody. It was Dr. Miles Monroe in his book entitled Becoming a Leader that stated you ought to go to the grave empty. In other words, don't go back to heaven with everything that God has given to us. It's not that God hasn't given dreams, but without a voice, without a passion, without the spirit of God to support the dream, it will evaporate as mist in life because it has never been heard. A dream without a dream, what you and I must constantly do is never lose our voice of our dreams, of our passions, because of the Spirit of God, because of the dream of God that he has given to all of us, unity for the human family. My wife and I, we have 10 grandchildren, and our aim and goal is to teach all of them to never lose your voice. Know who you are and whose you are, because your identity is in 
divinity. We want our grandchildren to know that they are made in the image and likeness of God. And as an American citizen, the dream of this God-birth nation is self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, undeniable rights that cannot be taken away from them. And amongst them is the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What makes a dream? It's God, the dream maker and the dream giver. I want to thank you for joining us on today's session. And I want to draw your attention in the description uh, of the page or the link that you're viewing this uh, broadcast on. I have included two links that are connected to the nature of today's session. One link is to the preamble, the guiding fundamental principles of our Constitution. Take a few moments to sit down with your grandchildren and your children. It's a very short uh, video. It's well done. Take a few moments. Sit down with your grandchildren and your children, your nieces and your nephews. Help them to understand what this dream of 56 men representing all of Americans born from the heart of God means for us today. We must never allow the voice the passion of the preamble and the Constitution to fade away because those are elements of the dream, the American dream. My brothers and sisters, never lose the voice of God's dream and your dream. And so as we close today, this is our 10th session of Overcoming Negative Thoughts. And I have a tool that we have stated in times times past. We want to provide some practical tools or some steps that we can utilize to help us to overcome helpful, neg- unhelpful negative thoughts that sometimes come into our minds. Negative, unhelpful thoughts that sometimes arise concerning our families, our co-workers, uh, our life experiences, the future. We all have them. And the key to overcoming them is to acknowledge that we have them. We don't have them all the time because we're positive people. But if we don't ever acknowledge the fact that we have them, we will never take the steps to overcome them. And so I've also included in the description, if you go to www.gregorycruel.com, there is a think tool that I want to provide to you as a means to practice thinking like God thinks in accordance with Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The ways of many people in our country around the world are not the ways of the Lord. They're not thinking like God thinks because of sin, transgression, and iniquities. So we want to provide a basic tool, a a very short tool that you can utilize and share with others to help us elevate our thinking, moving closer to the ways of God, moving closer to how God thinks, overcoming negative thoughts. And so, again, it's important that you understand you don't have to be a negative person to have negative thoughts. We all 
have them. We cannot stop negative thoughts from coming, but we can overcome and prevail against them because they only come to hinder, harm, harass, and distract us. But we can be better and we can do better as a country, as people, as the ambassadors of God because God dared to dream a dream because he is the dream maker and the dream giver.